Psalm 50, 60, of you know that uh, me and my wife, we've had a somewhat roller coaster of a relationship before we got married. Um, I'm not going to go over all the details of that or if we broke up with who or, you know, I'm over the fact that she broke up with me twice and before we got married, but, um, it, you know, we had our ups and downs and uh, there was a time where um, we were... We both wanted to get back together, and I knew that I wanted to marry her. Um, and, uh, we kind of talked and wanted to get back together, and I was so excited uh, that I kissed her. Um, and so I was like just on a type of cloud nine that some drugs can't even compete with. I was just so pumped, um, super excited that we were now back together. And I planned on the next six months to propose to her and get married to her. And uh, so we uh, we left the beach and she went home and I went home. And and uh, I'm just like, you know, like I said, on cloud nine, just not in reality in any way at all. Just daydreaming, thinking like, yeah, oh, just so pumped. And so uh, it's like it's like midnight and I get home and I open the fridge up because I'm looking for something to eat. And uh, there's some hot dogs, so I take three of them, throw them in the oven, and cook them up, and I just, you know, I'm still head in the clouds, and I, I get the hot dogs out, I go in the fridge, I get some ketchup, put the ketchup on my hot dogs, and sit down to eat, and I mean, probably about, I don't know, maybe three bites into it, I, I realized that it wasn't ketchup on my hot dogs, it was some fresh, sweet, pure Vermont maple syrup. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I ate all of them. <laughs> um, and so this, this story, uh, it's, it seems a little bit uh, ridiculous to you. And it's because it, it is, right? That's a little bit ridiculous. But, but it reflects something, right? Um, the idea of this is that this reflects a relationship. Um, a relationship that is really marked by um, adoration and affection, and a longing, and a consuming of thoughts, and ultimately love, right? Ultimately, it's a, it's a picture of love. And so, uh, the question is, is, does this idea, does this idea of being consumed in your thoughts describe your relationship with God? Adoration, affection, longing to be with Him. Does that describe your relationship with God? Because I think, I really do think that many people, a lot of us in this room, believe that God loves us. We know that in our heads. We definitely know that. The Bible t- says it, John 3.16. And we, we even would believe it and say, yeah, I know God loves me. But do you have that affection and adoration and longing for God? Does that describe you because I don't, I'm bringing this up because I don't want any one of us to miss out on this. I don't want anyone to miss out on this type of a relationship that we can have with God. So are you, does this describe your relationship with God? And are you satisfied in Him so much that you 
uh, long to be with him. So in Psalm 63, uh, we're going to look at, basically we have two objectives today. Um, We'll read the psalm and then I'll go over those real quick. So look at Psalm 63 with me. It says, this is David, he's in the wilderness. And he says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, and my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depth of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. So this morning, um, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, look at this passage and kind of pull from it. Um, And really, two ideas that I want to look at is that as we see David's longing for God and his affection for God, in those longings, we actually get to see who God is. So David's affections and longings, which are based upon, they're based upon truths about God. And that's what we're going to pull this morning is, who is this God that David longs for? And then second is, how can you and I be in the position that David was in? Where his soul, Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, God. He longs for God. And so, how can you and I uh, get into that position? Because that is the position to be in. So, um, let's, let's get into it here. Verse 1. David has a longing for God that is obsessive. It's obsessive. It's an addiction. Verse 1. All right. I want you to picture this idea before we read it. Is that, imagine that you were, you took a trip to Niger, Africa, you went with Tyler. And uh, I don't know how you get out there, but let's say he just drops you out in the desert for some reason. That really has nothing to do with it. Let's just say you're out in the sub-Sahara desert of Africa, right? And you're out there, and uh, you're, you're just left in the middle of the bush in the middle of nowhere. And you have nothing with you except for your, the clothes on your back, and that's it, and your, the shoes on your feet. And here you go. You have to now find civilization Find food, find water. You got nothing on you, and so you start walking through the desert, just aimlessly walking. You could be going deeper into the desert. You don't. Know. You just start walking, and you're going. You're walking, and as you walk, the 90, 110, 120 degree sun is now beating down on you as it rises higher in the air, and so you start sweating. You start. You know. You're. You're, you're thinking. Oh, I just got to get some water today. I need something. 12 noon comes, still no water. You, you keep moving, still sweating. Your clothes are drenched. Water that night, nothing. You go to bed, you wake up thirsty. Still no water. Keep walking. 
keep going. Like, all you would think, be able to think about now, at this point, is all, all I need is water. That's all I want. I need water. Like, you'd be, you'd be going through hallucinations. You'd be taking your shirt off, wringing it out, just trying to get a drip of sweat on your tongue. Like, you're, you're consumed with it. I, I just need water. And David, here in verse 1, is saying, My soul thirsts for you, God. Earnestly I seek you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David's saying, I'm like a guy in the desert who, who doesn't have water for days. I need this. I want this so bad. I'm consumed with it. It's the only thing running through his mind. It's no longer just a convenience to have water for David. It's consumed. And God, God is not just an addition to our lives or a convenience to be had. He is to be worshipped and obsessed over. We can be addicted to something in this life and that something or someone is God. If it longs to be with God, he needs to have it. And this even, you know, sometimes seems a little bit excessive when you, you just kind of just read verses like that. Like, come on, David, really? Really? Like, that much? That much, David? I mean, like, doesn't he sound like a teenage girl without a cell phone? Like, I, if I don't have my phone, I'm going to die. Or like, you know, like, your son, death, 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 death. Can I have a soda? No. Dead, dead, dead. Can I have a Sprite? No. Dead, dead, dead. Can I have a grape soda? No. Oh, if I don't get this Sprite, I'm going to die. Like, that's almost what it seems like a little bit here. But he's, he's not being excessive at all. This is no over-exaggeration. He's spot on. He's nailing it on the head. Earnestly, I seek you. Listen, if we think that David is delusional and that he's over-exaggerating... It's not the case. We're the ones who are delusional. If I don't think that I need God this much, I'm the one who's delusional. Not David. This is how badly we need God. And so, uh, David longs for God, but I'll ask the question, is why does David long for God? Why does David long for God? Um, and I think... The answer we're going to see is throughout some, a bunch of these verses, but uh, we're going to look at verse 5. Um, and I think the reason is really uh, because of who we are as people, is there's a longing in the soul for love that only God can fully satisfy. There's a longing in every one of your hearts and souls that on, for love that only God can satisfy. And so every single one of us needs to be loved. We need to be accepted. Everyone needs this. And even if you're a war veteran and you've been through some of the toughest things and you're numb to certain parts of life, you still need love from God. You still do. Our problem is that we seek love and acceptance in the wrong things. Um, 
some of them are, are really sinful things and can uh, lead us into more hurt and more pain and further away from love. Uh, and, then, and then sometimes it could, be, it could be really good things. It could be, it could be your family. It could be people. It could be, it could be possessions, which are good things. It could be money, which is a good thing. But if you try to seek fulfillment in other things other than God, like possessions, money, or people, uh, I just want to remind you that people make really crummy gods. You try to find your satisfaction in your spouse, you're just going to drain them. You try to find it in your kids, and ring them out. It's only to be found in God. Try to find satisfaction in toys or trinkets or possessions. And just keep finding yourself looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Because though they do bring happiness, they never satisfy. They don't fulfill. They're not lasting joys. And this is the life that God has designed us to live in is that we would find full satisfaction in Him. From the beginning, in Genesis, that we would find satisfaction in Him. Look at verse 5. David says, Why does David long for God? Because of verse 5. My soul will be satisfied. My soul will be satisfied. And what's his imagery here? This is a, a, a song he's singing. And so there's a lot of poetic imagery going on here. And so he says, my soul will be satisfied as or like, as with fat and rich food. Now, as a preacher, you are always taught to preach or know who your audience is. Right? And so, I know, I know you guys. I see, I see Brian McWilliams, 6'5", 250. That boy can eat. I know Ed Bermudez can put it away. <laughs> Jeff Gaudio, I don't know where the food goes, man, but if you've ever seen that guy eat, he can put it away. Jim Donaldson's constantly posting pictures on Facebook about peppers and, and sausage and meat. I love Amazing, right? We, we can end, and not only that, but we have two elders who are Cliffords. Not just one, two. And then they have kids who can eat too, right? So we can put food away here, and we love food, correct? We do. Food is really good. And um, so as a preacher, I'm supposed to exploit that as an illustration right now, and and begin to give you a food analogy, but I'm not going to fully do that because I know how it gets close to lunch and we can get really hungry. Um, so, but he says, he says, I'll be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And so you, you know, you just picture whatever food you, you like. I love steak. And I'll talk about that till I die, probably. Uh, barbecue ribs, or if you're a vegetarian or, or vegan or whatever you eat, I don't know, stick a broccoli or kale or something, I don't know what you guys eat, but um, whatever that is, right, as with fat and rich food, but when you eat that food, it satisfies you, and, and, and a good food, a, a nice prime rib that's 100% grass-fed organic meat is not going to leave me groggy after I eat it, correct? It's going, to be, it's going to clear my mind. I'm going to be thinking better. I'm going to be, my body's going to be enriched by the food. And my, I'm going to feel better even, too. And so we're satisfied as with fat and rich food. And what David is saying here, I think, is that the idea is that he's saying, you know the way that food is to be desired? And how we can, we can, you know, lick our chops and drool at the mouth because food is to be desired? He's saying, God is even more to be desired than food. 
as hungry as you may be, are you that hungry for God? God is to be desired even more than food. You know the way that you can enjoy a nice, fat steak. God is to be enjoyed even more. David longs for God because he can satisfy him. So even when right, we eat about three times a day, and even when we eat three times a day, eating is a reminder that God is more satisfying than food. Eating is a reminder that there is a greater hunger that we should have for someone else. God is more to be desired than food, and only He can satisfy the soul. So the next time we pray for meals, think about the hunger you possess in your stomach and match it up to your hunger for God. Am I hungry for God in a way I'm hungry for this meal right now? Ask yourself that question next time you sit down with your family to eat. And uh, we'll keep moving here. Why does God, or why does David long for God so much? Because he's the only one who can satisfy. Um, and there, there's more here too in that coming up in verses. We're going to look at verse three and four. But um, because only God can satisfy. But I also want to ask another question here: Is how do you acquire this type of love for God? Like, how do you how do you get there? How do you become David, where you? You want God as much as you want water as if you've been in the desert for days without it. Where does that desire come from? Verses 3 and 4, I think, describe it. He says, um, David says this, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And so I would say this is that if, if how, do, how do we acquire this type of love for God? If we want this type of desire for God, we need to see the love God has for us. It's not that we love God, but that He first loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. It's, it's the Gospel. And even too, as we unpack this verse, we're going to see that He says, because your steadfast love is better than life. Don't answer this, but think in your mind. What what is the steadfast love of the Lord? what, What is that? And so for David, as David is thinking back upon the steadfast love of the Lord, I believe what he's doing and what most Old Testament saints do is that they remember back to the promises that God gave them. They remember back to creation, made in the image of God. They remember back to Abraham, the promises of God, that God promised that he would make them a nation and he would bless them and he would be with them, that he would make them prosper. They remember back to the Exodus with Moses and how he took those people out of slavery, out of bondage, he multiplied them increasingly, even when Pharaoh tried to destroy them. He, he was fulfilling his promises. This is the steadfast love of the Lord. And then he sets them up as a nation. He makes them his people. And they continually, continually fail him. Stab him in the back. Sin against him. On and on it goes. Continually fail him. But he still is faithful to them. This, he's still steadfast love is, is happening through all of their failures. In Joshua, right, he, 
God brings them through Jericho, on and all the way to King David. There's this steadfast love of the Lord that's continual throughout the Old Testament. And so David, when he thinks about the steadfast love of the Lord, he's probably thinking back to these times, these passages, these stories. And also, he's thinking back to the times where, man, God provided for me. And God cares for me. And God continually satisfies me. And so for him, this is the steadfast love of the Lord. But for us, as the body of Christ today, what is the steadfast love of the Lord? What do we look back to? The cross. We see the cross. It's the steadfast love of the Lord. No, lo- no greater love has this than to lay down one's life for his friends. It's the gospel. And who is the steadfast love of the Lord then? It's Jesus. Jesus is the steadfast love of the Lord. He's the one who showed us the greatest act of love in all of human history. And David says, because your steadfast love is better than life, I will praise you. And we can say, in a way, because Jesus is better than life, I can praise you. Because the gospel is better than life, my lips will praise you. I'll lift my hands in your name. I will bless you as long as I live. And I even too, I think there's, um, there's this idea of, where you're talking about life here is, um, there's something to say about the enjoyment of, of reality, especially in 2018. Um, something to say about reality, uh, that if you want something to the fullest capacity, then you're going, ha- you're going to have to experience it in real life, in reality. Like we have, we have you know, those, those goggles, the virtual reality things where you can plug your phone in, you strap that thing on, and you, you can look around, you plug in uh, an address wherever you want to go to the Grand Canyon, boom, plug it on your phone, strap it in, you're virtually there. Kill, Mount Kilimanjaro, you strap it in, you're virtually there. But those virtual, these other realities that we try to create that aren't actual reality, they just fall short. They always fall short. Why? Because if you strap in and you go to the Grand Canyon, how many, has anyone been to the Grand Canyon? So Yeah, right? You, you strap in and you, you, you're here in the Grand Canyon and you're not like Arizona in the Grand Canyon. You're in like Brantford, Connecticut, but I'm in the Grand Canyon. But you're not like actually there. When you're actually there, you feel the wind you feel the awe. You see how massive those canyons are. You see the birds in the air. You hear the, the, the noises and the winds, everything, right? You feel the chill coming out of the valley. Why? Because there's no greater than reality than actual reality, than real life. So, like, you go to Vermont, like, you get up in the mountains, you start, you can breathe, right? This isn't near New York anymore. Life. You experience that. That's not some like essential oil that you put into your distiller and like, oh yeah, it smells like Vermont in here. Or some like, you know, uh, air freshener you put in your car. Like you try to put a leather air freshener in your car, that smells like garbage. I know what real leather smells like. You put a leather air freshener in your car, it smells like garbage. I'll get you the real thing if you want it. Okay? But you, it's just, you know, it's just not that good. Yeah, it's simulated. And so, what David is getting at here is that we actually have 
a reality that is better than life itself. It's better than life itself. There is nothing more authentic than real life. It's tangible, it's physical, it's exhilarating. You breathe in, you breathe out. There's nothing more authentic than that. So what is better than life? David says it. Steadfast love of the Lord. It's better. It's more to be desired. It's more satisfying than even life itself. And I think Paul even gets at this too in the New Testament. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying if I'm going to live, I want it to be for Christ. And if I'm going to die, that's gain because I get to go and be with Him. Steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. Or as we could say it, is that Jesus is Himself. The Gospel, Jesus in the Gospel is better than life. Let's keep moving here. Um, why does David long for God? I think there's uh, two more answers. They kind of work together. It's shown in verse 7, 8, and then 9 through 11. And so we'll read those. It says, David says, uh, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. There shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. So another reason that David um, is obsessed with God is because he's his help. God is David's help, and God never leaves him or forsakes him. One of the themes of the Bible that you'll see is, um, is this continual theme, and it's God with us. God is with us. Even in Jesus, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. It's the same in the Old Testament when Moses was, had to go before Pharaoh. God, what do, I, what do I do? I can't talk. God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm with you. You don't need to worry. I'm with you. And so for David, even too, um, we don't know exactly when this psalm is written, but uh, it's in the wilderness of Judah, so he's either running from King Saul or Absalom, who overtook the throne and is now trying to kill him. Either way, there's another king who's trying, who is taking his throne and still trying to destroy his life. Right? He's in a bit of a pickle. And he's reminded here that God's with him. You have been my help, God. In the shadow of your wings, there's the presence of God. I'll sing for joy. My soul clings to you. I won't leave you. Your right hand upholds me. He's with God. And so are we. And so even too, I, like no matter what anyone in this room has done, like sin in the past, that God can forgive it. And God will not leave you. He promises that He'll never, ever forsake us. Never. So despite sins we could commit and guilt we could feel and burdens that we have to bear because of the decisions we make in life, 
God won't abandon us. That's a promise. You've got to cling to that, especially in hard times of life. He won't abandon you. He won't forsake you. Never. Despite your stupid decisions in life. He won't. Because you think about like who's actually writing this. It's, uh, it's David, right? David, the guy who uh, committed adultery with his, one of his best friends, got his best friend's wife pregnant in that adultery, and then went and murdered his best friend to cover the sin up. That's who just said that. And God didn't forsake him. There is no point, there is no point at all in this in the Bible where God starts second guessing that he shouldn't have made David king. He's not questioning why did I do that? This guy he always misses. He never does that. Not one ounce of doubt in God's mind. No. He chose David. And in Christ he has chosen us. You can't outsin the grace of God. You can't outsin the cross of Christ. God will never, ever leave you. He'll never forsake you. It's an unconditional. Even to that word um, in verse 3, your steadfast love, there's this idea of with steadfast, there's this loyalty that God, when He says something, He does it and He fulfills it. He's loyal to it. And He can't break His promises. Even too, there's, there's other words in the Old Testament. Um, one word that continually comes up in the Hebrew is this word ahava. Ahava is like one of the best words for love in the Hebrew. Where God is continually with His people. He never leaves them. He brings them out of bondage, out of slavery. He brings them through wars, defeats enemies, never loses. This is the Ahava love of the Lord. And in a way you could put it is, when God says Ahava, the idea is, I'm not going anywhere. That's what he means. He says, I'm not going anywhere. You're mine. I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. You're mine. Brothers, sisters, we can rest in that reality. God is with us despite our failures. Amazing. And then uh, in verse, verses 9 through 11, even too, we see a little bit more of this idea is that God never leaves us, but um, He also fights for us. Look at verse 9. It says, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depth, depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. God is with us, and God also fights for us. And so literally, there's no battle, there's no problem that you have that you need to fight alone. There's none. Like God says, I'll fight for you. That's what it means to be in Christ, is that God now fights for you. Our God is a warrior. He defeats sin and death, destroys it, and He takes care of all of our problems. Little insignificant us takes care of them, knows all of them, fights for us. You know what He said to Moses 
when they, he brought the people out of Egypt and they're sitting at the Red Sea and they got this huge ocean across and the people start complaining, you brought us out here so that we might die in the wilderness. You brought us out here to just to kill us because there's no, not enough graves in, in Egypt. You brought us here. And you know what God says to Moses? He tells them, he tells them this, Exodus 14, 14, 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be quiet. The Lord will fight for you. It's amazing. He parts the Red Seas and they walk through on dry ground and they're delivered out. You don't need to fight your own battles. God will fight them for us. Look at the, the word imagery that he even uses here. Those who seek to destroy my life, they shall go down to the depths of the earth. Verse 10, they shall be given over to the power of, of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. You see his confidence he has in God? You see what courage that gives David? Listen, God's going to fight for me. Like if, if someone starts to slander me or talk bad about me, if someone starts to mock me, like, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to respond. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to do any of that. Why? Because God will fight for me. Look at it. For the, verse 11, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. God's just. He's going to take care of it. You don't have to fight. It's amazing. This is what it means to be God's chosen. This is what it means to be a part of God's family. He fights for us. He's with us and he fights for us. It's His justice. God's justice frees us up to love and be at rest in Him. That's our responsibility. To love and be at rest in God. He takes care of our enemies. He takes care of our problems. And uh, the last point here is, um, is based off this question. Why does David... Or uh, I'm sorry. The last question is not just why... Uh, does David long for God, or how can David, or how can we be more like David? Um, but the question here is, where does David go to meet this obsession? Where does David go to meet this addiction? <laughs> verse two and verse six it says, "So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding." your power, and your glory. Down to verse 6. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate you on you in the watches of the night, the two places where David goes is he goes to the sanctuary. That's Old Testament, obviously. Um, but the sanctuary, what it represented was the personal, powerful presence of God. That's what the sanctuary represented. That's where David could go. That's where any Jewish man or woman could go to meet with God. To be in His presence. And I know there's more of that detail that gets into that with the stages of, of those places, but just the idea in general is that David knows God's presence is there, and so that's where he decides to go. I'm going to go there because I want to look upon the glory and the power and the majesty of God. And then the other place is, is in verse 6. He, he says, I remember you upon my bed. 
and meditate on you in the watches of the night. I just think simply what that resembles is um, that he's alone with God. right? No one else is around in the watches of the night. No one else is sitting on his bed next to him at the time. I mean, he's in the wilderness, obviously, so he's probably laying out in a field here. But these are the places he goes. He gets alone with God. He separates himself from every, everyone else, everything else. And he meditates upon who God is. He thinks over. He thinks really hard about who God is. Really hard. So if there's really like one thing I keep, I keep seeing in this passage is that um, there's, like when you hear David say these words, when you read those words, like there's a, a, another level of intimacy here, isn't there? Like there's just, there's an, that's another level. Like I'm not there. I'm not verse one. I can't describe myself like a, like a guy who's been in a desert without water for days. That's, that's, a, that's another level. No, like, we, we feel those times, though, right? We feel those times when we long to be with God. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so we know that there's something good there. And we long at those times. But I, th- I think what happens is, is we, honestly, the, the best way to put it is just we get really lazy. Like, to get alone with God is so simply, it's so hard. So simple. Like, I just have to turn the TV off and open up my Bible and read. It's so simple, but yet it's so hard because there's, there's so many things that are pulling for our attention. So many things that grasp for our minds. And so I just want to remind you or warn you or encourage you, whatever you need to take this as, you can't, you can't end your life like like you can't live your life like this. You can't live your life without this obsession for God. Don't live the rest of your life without this deep, abiding, satisfying, affection-based love for God. Don't keep living your life without this. Like I do. Literally, do whatever it takes. Like, do whatever it takes. Like, I don't care if you have to turn your TV off. Like, just plug the whole thing out and maybe put it on the side of the road and get rid of it. I don't care if you have to turn your internet off, put away your video games, like, just shut off your cell phone and put it down. Like, whatever it takes. Like, this is so important. This is everything. Love for God is everything. You gotta do like you gotta do whatever it takes. You don't have to get ready for TV, but if that's what it takes, you don't have to not have a cell phone. But if that's what it takes, like this is God. Man, like I'm serious. Don't like don't go to work tomorrow if you don't love God like this. Just take a sick day or something. I mean. Get on your knees. Confess, God, I don't love you like I should. I don't love you like David. I want that. I want to love you like David loves you. And I don't have that desire. So God, whatever it takes, I'm going to put my phone away. I'm not going to make plans with anyone this week. I'm just going to 
I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to go before God. I'm going to beg Him to show me more of who He is. I'm going to beg Him to help me love Him more. I need this. Like, this isn't... This isn't... Everything else is secondary to this. You can't live without obsession or craving for God. So, like, I've just been praying this week because I'm trying to get there. So, God, if it's, man, if it's, if there's pride in my life and that's blocking me from this desire for you, like, take my pride away, whatever you have to do. God, if, if it's my possessions and I'm just, I like my stuff too much, man, just ruin it. Have it destroyed. Get rid of it. Or if it's, if it's my money and I'm, I'm more concerned about, man, how much am I going to make? How much do I have to get in so that I can provide for my family and, you know, live a little extra comfortable and have a, uh, like, God, if that's me and that's what's dividing me from this love for you, then get rid of my money. Like, take it. I don't want it. This is God we're talking about. I gotta have this. There's nothing more important. Nothing is more important than this desire, this craving, this obsession. And as big as it can get, God can satisfy it. God can satisfy it. One more thing we see here, too, is that in this psalm, um, David is, like we saw before, he's obsessed with God, right? And I, I just want to point this out, is that obsession for God is what glorifies God. See that? It's David's longing for God that makes God look really good. You see that? David longing for God, David panting for God like water, makes God look desirable. makes him look really good. And so, as a, a bunch of preachers have put it, is, is the idea is that God is glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. And God is excessively glorified in this passage because, because David is consumingly satisfied. Um, I'll just close with this. Is that uh, I'll just encourage you to, this week, Really, like, do what you got to do to find this love for God. To stir these desires and affections for Jesus. Do what you have to. There's nothing more important. There really isn't. And if you don't believe me, just read the psalm again. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, I don't want to preach again in my prayer right now. I just ask that um, whatever was said that was true and good and edifying and encouraging, maybe even hard, Lord, that you would use it. Lord, I ask that you would uh, make us like David who longs for you and clings to you. That you would help us in our day-to-day lives with stirring our affections for your Son. God, thank you for your word. 
And uh, thank you for your spirit who opens up the truth to us. And I ask that you would continue to do that uh, with us as a people this week, that we would uh, dig into your word uh, to, to see you, to delight in you, and that in those things that we would be transformed to be more like your son, Jesus. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.